Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. This is the Runner's World Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 25 of the Runner's World Podcast, the weekly podcast bringing you all the latest running news, views and interviews. I'm Rick Pearson, the Runner's World section editor, and I'm here with Ben Hobson, the digital editor. What have we got coming up on this week's episode? This week we are talking to ultra runner and coach James Paul, who is going to be making the case for the long and slow distance training approach. And we also have our tech guru, Kieran Alger, in the studio to run us through the latest running gadgets and gizmos. Plus, Kerry McCarthy will be rounding it off with the weekly running news. Oh, bumper episode. Big one. It will be, uh, it'll be great to hear from James about why he believes mileage and time on feet are what matters. It's the exact opposite um, approach of what Brian McKenzie advocated uh, on episode 23. As a reminder, Brian uh, recommended a high-quality skill-based approach and said cool things like, we need to run quickly before we run long. Running high mileage of poor technique will inevitably result in injury and lifting weights and getting strong can, to some extent, replace mileage when uh, training for an endurance event. And James is going to essentially argue the opposite. So it'd be really, really interesting. So without further ado, guest of the week. Welcoming to the studio, ultra runner, adventurer and running coach James Paul. James has an enviable running CV, including impressive finishes at the Western States 100 and a sub 245 marathon. On top of this, he's a running coach and the head of Advent Running, a free-to-join running community offering coaching advice and, most importantly, craft beers to runners across the capital. (laughs) James is a fan of long, slow distance training and is going to be making the case for putting in the miles. James, welcome to the Runners World podcast. Thanks, gents. It's a real real honour. Thank you. Um, so I started this, this, the same when we talked to Brian on, on about this. I said, what's wrong? And wrong is, the, is not perhaps the right word, but what is wrong with high-intensity, <laughs> low-mileage approach to running? Yeah, I, yeah, I listened to the uh, the podcast this morning, and uh, he was very quick to shut you down with it being wrong, right, wasn't he? <laughs> yeah. That was almost the first thing he opened with. So I'm going to be a bit alternative and say, yeah, I think it's wrong. I think it's the wrong approach <laughs> right. for uh, the vast majority of runners. and. There's always a you know, different way of cutting the cake when it comes to anything, and running yeah. is obviously no different. I just think most runners are going to benefit more from a perhaps a more moderate approach than than Brian would suggest with his sort of high intensity Tabata uh, interval led approach. And I just think for most people, a route that's physically easier, that's less physically taxing on every single workout, and one that probably just makes them a bit more a bit happier yeah. in doing it. Then at least more longevity leads to more repetition, more, uh, and then and then hopefully a, you know a better a better running performance in the end. What would you say to people who say that the kind of long slow distance approach is is junk miles? Yeah, I mean then that's the obvious you know the obvious response that all, everyone always gives, and it's also the same you know, argument in cycling. And I think um, the difference perhaps between the two is that you know every time you run, you're you are 
pounding the pavement. Mm. And that's and we you know once upon a time when we when, when we were before we evolved, we were we were in the woods and in the forest. But now we have to run on on concrete and pavement. Most of us anyway, yeah. and that's pretty hard on you physically. And so this idea that you know when you go and run, it has no physical benefit is is a bit of a nonsense. And so I think the other thing about junk miles is is that they're only junk if they don't have a purpose. Mm. You know, by by definition, then they're they they're useless. But if you if they if you value them because they add to your weekly volume or they allow you to condition your body to pounding the pavement, then they no longer become junk. Yeah. They're just, just an excuse for people who don't actually want to go out and, and master things. And by the nature of mastering something, you have to do it quite a lot to get good at it. And yeah. I think, you know, in the current day and age, everyone wants to run a marathon, win a race, do, you know, it for the gram, for, you know, for, their, <laughs> for popularity, without actually doing the hard work. Yeah. And that's just the world we live in, right? Everyone wants instant gratification. Yeah. Do you think Brian's approach cuts corners, James? I don't, I don't think it cuts corners. I just don't I think it's wholly the wrong thing to do for for people who want to run long, longer distances. And I think some of the stuff he talks about just factually, uh, are inco- you know, scientifically incorrect and, and and just not very helpful. I mean, the idea that he, he gives this idea that, that um, running fast leads to running further, quite hmm. simplistically, right? You build the strength to run fast and therefore, because of that, you can run further. And he uses, he says, I think, something like all only... All these elite athletes, and he uses um, he uses Kip, most, Joe, Kip, Kip Joe or Farrer. Yeah, Farrer is probably a good example. Um, you know, I think that's actually quite rare. And if you look back at some of the people who have won marathons and have run fast, Mike Grattan is an example. You know, he obviously won the London Marathon in two oh nine. He didn't really have a history of five thousand and ten thousand. He wasn't representing. I'm pretty sure. I mean, Mike's probably a you know friend of the show, and you can go back and check. But I had a quick look, and I don't think he was obviously a very strong runner at those distances. But he wasn't. He wasn't yeah, Mo yeah, Farah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Mo Farah is a great example of someone who is incredible talent. But most of them don't do five thousand meter. You know, win the gold medal at the Olympics and then go on to be incredible yeah. marathon mm. runners. That's just not. That's not true. Yeah. And so the, the idea that you know he also uses BMX. Um, cyclists make great track cyclists and they do because actually the two disciplines are very similar it's not quite that common for BMXers to become Tour de France yellow jersey stage winners right. in reality and because the, the two sports are actually quite they're, they're both cycling and in this case both running but they're quite they require quite different specifics mm. right one you know sprinting requires um, fast twitch muscles running for a long distance requires slow twitch muscles and it's not mm. that you can't ha- you know what you have one or the other you have a mix of the two but but doing an exercise that promotes fast twitch muscle growth for do- for something which which needs slow twitch doesn't yeah. make any sense to me I and mean, it's just just doesn't make any sense and, <laughs> and then it do- and it doesn't work fine if if all these people elite athletes were doing out there using this endurance approach that Brian's suggesting and they're killing it yeah but they're not Obviously, that the high mileage marathon training approach is the most tried and tested of all time. If we're going to go for like obvious, sure. yeah. obvious things, yeah. the orthodox it, way, the orthodox way. So, why, what, what would you advocate for marathon training? Then, is what's your give would, us your week? But my my personal week right now is terrible. But like ordinarily, <laughs> if I, when, when I ran two two forty five as yeah. an example, yeah. two forty four um, in London a few years ago, it was a, it was pretty much. Eighty percent, as you as you mentioned, eighty percent uh, with Brian. Eighty percent of just endurance running, steady running, with a couple of speed sessions. Maybe only one speed session a week, depending on how it went. But good volume, hundred miles a week. I was running, and I think if you were probably to survey people running in that two 
230 to 250 space, you'd probably find that the overall volume, generally mm. speaking, you know, is getting between 80 and 120 miles a week. I mean, it's getting towards sort of elite level training. Yeah. It's obviously a long way from two hours, two, 244, yeah. but it's still starting to get to that, that thin end of the wedge, I think. I think the, the best phrase that I've ever heard about um, this 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 format is that each session is about improving your fitness, not proving fitness. Mm. So you're actually, I think that the notion that everyone needs to go and bank loads of miles as fast as possible just to show how great they yeah. are, yeah. rather than actually, no, I need to be going and running at ten and a half minute miles because that's that's easy. Mm. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, obviously the famous phrase is, you know, um, good is the enemy of great. Right. right. When I actually think that's around the wrong way for running, I think. Great is the enemy of good. And and if you actually, uh, Kipchoge is a great example. Mm. And if you look at his training sessions, they're obviously very, very fast because he's a very fast runner over 26 miles. Yeah. But on an, absolute, on an absolute basis, they're very fast. But on a relative basis, he's not doing anything particularly crazy. No. Um, there's another, there's a coach, Renato uh, Canova, who actually has a sort of quite different approach. And he sets his athletes some very, very difficult breakthrough type sessions that when you look at, you're like, if that guy's doing that, he's in phenomenal shape. Kipchoge is not really doing that. He's just been consistently good for like yeah. forever, and yeah. now he, you know, he's the best runner in the world, a marathon ever, I suspect. You know, certainly probably the, you know, up there with the greatest of all time. But it's been consistently over over many many years. He doesn't race much. He doesn't get injured. He's yeah. just been building on building on building on on these good sessions, not one or two great sessions. And I think if everyday runners, listeners, are you know, are thinking, I'm going to go out and kill it. Uh, you know, once a week on a Thursday and smash up that session, probably you know, not the way to be thinking about things on a more holistic basis. And the better way to do it is to think, I'm going to go and run until I can do one more repeat and then not do one more repeat and mm. finish with a, you know, a bit left in the tank, but don't get injured, don't lose the, you know, don't get disillusioned by, a, you know, a session that doesn't pan out. Yeah. I mean, let's talk about injury, James. Would you worry that someone who follows the kind of high quality high intensity program is more likely to get injured than someone who follows the kind of 80-20 approach. I think so. I think an 80-20 approach done correctly. Mm. And that's, you know, that's the important part. And, and I'm, I guess Brian would argue that his approach, a high intensity approach done correctly would do with the same thing. But I think naturally we, you know, we sit down in an office all day and Brian does make the same, the same point actually, yeah. but it doesn't really seem to address it. I don't think is we all sit down. We, you know, often have lazy glutes tight hamstrings or whatever everyone has their own problems everyone's different but generally speaking we're probably not as flexible as we as we like to be mm. but then you go and ask somebody to do a very intense session mm. with poor, poor lack of flexibility and and lack of agility and and those those sessions require really good technique yeah mm. i mean the thing he's asking those sort of olympic lifts and things are not something you just go into a gym and do because you get injured, <laughs> but, but those those sort of workout the day things that they do in CrossFit and CrossFit endurance don't seem to have a lot of tu- tuition in terms of technique. Mm-hmm. So you're sort of, com- in my mind, com- combining these things. So not too much tu- uh, tuition te- on a very technique driven approach, and then a, and a bl- vast level of, of intensity. I mean, to barter twenty seconds on, twenty seconds off, like super fast sessions. I think that's a recipe for disaster. Mm. But then you could also argue that, you know, long, slow distance, pounding the streets for many, many miles could also be the same. And I, I do think some strength and conditioning does sort of creep in there. But it's done slowly with the view that, it you know, it builds agility, balance, coordination, rather than 
you know, clean and jerk as quickly <laughs> as you can, yeah. you know, all those things, which are power exercises. And I don't think people need the power. I'd say that just to, to the point that you make, though, that, that these things are done under tuition. And I think that, that actually that runners miss a trick consider not thinking that they need tuition as well mm, definitely 100% uh, yeah. I, I think people think they you know born to run not the book just the idea that yeah. we are born to run <laughs> yeah um, we just go out and do it and I think you know obviously we were and that there's this, this scientific science that shows out and there's these all those people out there in South Africa is who are running down animals but but you know we again we live in a in a city those those people who live in London or wherever yeah. And we sit at desks all day now. We're not really. We were born to run. We're not really tuned to run now. No. So some good, te- some good technique on top of a, you know, yeah. looking looking at it holistically rather yeah. than trying to smash out one session or beat your mates, you know, on the on park run probably isn't the, the best way to be a long term sort of longevity in in running. Although it might be fun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I think I think to some extent the industry has built a lexicon around smashing it up, leaving it on the road. Yeah. You know, killing it, which probably sells T-shirts, but isn't that all actually that yeah, you're helpful? You're going to buy a T-shirt just saying like, "Take it steady." Yeah, uh, don't go too hard right now. Got, Save yourself for next week yeah. when oh, you got a race. Long term, we got a year and a half now before the big goal, so just take it steady. That's a great T-shirt. Yeah, exactly, yeah, 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 you get yeah, yeah. that. Yeah, ease your way in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's talk about strength and conditioning then, because it's not as if you're anti-strength and conditioning, James. That wouldn't be fair to say you don't. You think just go out and run; it's going to be fine. Just go slowly. No, no, I'm not, and I think you know everybody's in is individual, and some people need a lot of strength and conditioning, and, and some people are really annoying and don't need any. <laughs> yeah, or, or you know, or they, or they just they just are yeah. already quite strong, yeah. and I think you can. And, and personally, I don't do a great deal of strength and conditioning. I've been running for a long, long time, and cycling and other things, and I genuinely are physically quite strong. So I don't spend a lot of time doing strength and conditioning and then but then again there's always with all these things specific strength and conditioning for runners yeah. not just and this is again why this sort of crossfit endurance thing doesn't really make any sense to me because you know running is a is a single leg sport you're only ever on one foot at a time yeah i'm pretty sure most of the crossfit endurance stuff a lot of it is like you know two-footed mm. power lifting you know yeah. or heavyweight lifting heavy weights on, on low reps mm. again not it creates strength creates muscle mass and and therefore fast twitch muscles and but doesn't create necessarily the sort of strength and conditioning that that we actually need as runners i mean the good example is you know people that person who recently broke the world record for like four hour plank yeah i mean great but like that doesn't you know that you could have a great plank but doesn't make you necessarily a great runner just because you're strong doesn't sure. mean yeah, you're, yeah. You're, you're injury free and it's just about doing a, the right the right type of strength and conditioning and it doesn't need to be very much and i think you know potentially some running drills at the beginning a couple of times a week is a good place for most most people to start. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Do you think that in, that that the high intensity approach is more applicable for distances from maybe ten k to five k? Do you think that's more where it makes more sense? I mean, it's just appropriate training for the distance you're doing. If you need to run five k, then probably spending a lot of time running thirteen, fourteen, twenty miles on Sunday isn't hugely yeah. beneficial i'm really saying really obvious things but no, no. Yeah, but yeah. but maybe you know that's true so doing but doing five times 1k with a 60 seconds recovery or something might be very appropriate to run a better 5k yeah and i think it's just about doing things that are appropriate to to the thing you you, you want to do and and finding a way to ultimately to enjoy them and i do strongly believe that that the, the difficulty with some of these sort of intense 
workouts is they're actually pretty unpleasant. And I think a certain type of person likes that sort of the rocky effect, right? You know, you, you pummel it until you yeah. till your arms scream and your, and your lungs burst. And there's some people who like that. And they, they genuinely, for whatever reason, get off on that sort of approach. I think from, from being part of Advent Running for, for years and coaching people, that most people deal better with a little bit of that. A yeah. little bit of rocky, but mostly a bit of like, that was tough, but I enjoyed it. And then they come back and do it again and i think this is this repetition piece if you if someone loves something and the advent running sort of motto is fall in love with running which is why we do things that aren't always driven around performance based you know there are they are driven around a reward that isn't a medal and a t-shirt and winning yeah i.e beer yeah um <laughs> thought i'm going to manage to get that in and so it, it really it really comes down to doing something that people love and then repeating it and and not getting injured and repeating it and not getting injured and, and yeah. enjoying it and and then and then they you know they get this base or they get a level of ability that allows them to do a bit more maybe add a bit more intensity to the thing and build themselves into lifelong runners who are passionate about the sport and i think some of the short-term stuff is great if you want to smash out 10k and then never run again so tell us quickly then a little bit more about advent running james if people are interested how can they go and find out some more yeah i'd love to talk a bit about advent running uh it was launched in 2014 it's been it's very very simple in december we run 25 days in a row 30 minutes in fact we do exercise for 20 when we first started it was 25 days of running of 30 minutes but not everyone can do that and and so we've broadened it over time and it's now just do something walk run yoga cycle swim i honestly don't care but in a month when you when your time is short it's drain it's a lot of drain on your and your time you have the weather's pretty bad it's almost the worst month to do any exercise (laughs) you know everyone's going down the pub it's your christmas parties if you can find 30 minutes for yourself it's a really, really healthy way to end the year. It's a really way, good way to start January on the front foot rather than having done nothing for a month. And it's fun, and we, we do it on Facebook, uh, and we give away stuff, and it's, it's, a, it's a genuinely fun thing to do, and it changes people's feeds in their social media into all these great photos of people doing their runs in the rain, and everyone's sort of positive. And that's how it started in 2014, and it's just carried on as an actual physical entity now. And we run, we have six runs a week, and we wow. get involved, we run with other organizations so we have a run we've just launched the tenzing clean air run club which is encouraging people to, to find clear clean air spots to do their workouts we do stuff with camden town brewery as as you alluded to with, oh, the, with craft, beer. the craft beer part me, me and ben could be tempted to turn up to that couldn't we ben for sure <laughs> but, but here's the brilliant thing about that it's hill reps yeah and everyone comes along we have 80 people on a wednesday doing hill reps. the least favorite session of all <laughs> exactly. the sessions no one likes hill reps until you tell them they're going to get a free beer and we call it hell's reps because camden <laughs> oh, have a beer good. see what we did there you're wasted james you come over to the magazine <laughs> <laughs> but just but but in all seriousness rebranding some things that people hate yeah. into something you know even if it's you know, it's not the world's best rebrand i'll be honest but <laughs> but it be, but it's not about and everyone yeah. comes and no no one's obviously the fastest runner there or, or the slow and most importantly the slowest runner so we have this great diversity of ability mm. where no one's like oh i'm holding everyone up and no one's like i'm too good for this group because we do a loop and everyone goes crazy for as long as they want to and then we run back and get a beer creates an environment which is very uh, encouraging for all abilities and yeah. doesn't i think uh, focus on on any one of those in particular and and i think sometimes the particularly the new runner end of of the running world is not as well catered for as as the you know more performance end where we're running traditional running clubs have done an amazing job for yeah. for in many cases over 100 years teaching people to run that's not always they're not always i would argue the most welcoming of, of beginner runners because they want people to run faster and win club championships and things and we're not about that we're trying to encourage people to go out and 
and get involved and be better be better runners and be happier runners and enjoy it in the same same time and and encourage each other. So it's been going for yeah since 2014. Um, it's really cool. We, we have you know I see five four five hundred runners a, mu- a, a month and that's pretty that's pretty amazing. Yeah, great. it's great what you've done there. I think that's really Thank you. really brilliant. Um, James, thanks so much for coming on the Runners World podcast. Pleasure. Great to hear thanks, a guys. bit more about your training philosophy and uh, well, yeah. hopefully there's some takeaways from some of the listeners and uh, we get lots more injury free people not doing jump miles. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, mate. Thanks, Cheers. guys. This is the Runners World podcast. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. We've had a couple of great emails from listeners. People are listening. Ben. Yeah, it's been great. Uh, so responding to last week's discussion about the rise of virtual running, Steph Harris from Cardiff writes, I like taking part in Strava challenges, but can't see myself signing up for a run uh, that awards a medal for virtual running. Also can't stand treadmill running when the great outdoors is available all year round. Give me a small friendly trail run or an epic scaled road race any day of the week. I expect virtual racing appeals, appeals to people who may suffer from anxiety, though, and um, so more power to them. So fair enough from... from, from uh, Steph, not for her, but can see the appeal for some. Very good. And I think Jamie, Jamie sent you in a nice little bit of advice before the North Downs Way 100. That's right, yeah, Jamie Maker, yeah. yeah. Um, he's, he's done it himself, and he, he comprised a little list of things for you to right. to bear in mind. Uh, so the, the hot tips for you, Rick, are recce the route, which I know you've done. Done it. So done it. Tick. Pace control and weather. Don't go really fast if it's hot. Understood. Great. Change of clothes. Yeah. Because it's a long old time. Got my rhino suit for the second half. <laughs> Night riding. It is, it, he's better at explaining this, but I'm going to just paraphrase. It's dark. It gets dark. Be careful. Yeah, I've been out there in the dark once, so Great. tick, sort of. And take photos, which is an odd one, perhaps an important one, which is to take photos because it stops you and it means you have a memory of the occasion, which when you run really fast and far, which you will do, often it blurs. Blurs into one. You're right. So take a, take a moment, have a snap. Yeah. And away you go. Good. Great advice. Jamie, thanks so much for writing in. It's really nice of you. And um, if I can finish in less than 25 hours, which is what you did, I will be very happy indeed. This 
is the Runner's World podcast. Next up, we're delighted to welcome to the studio Kieran Alger. Kieran's been on the podcast a couple of times before and is interested in the space where sports and technology collide. Each month, he'll be casting his expert eye over a different part of running technology with the aim of giving you a better understanding of how it could make you a better runner. Kieran, welcome to the podcast. Hi, hi again. Uh, to mark this occasion, I have, of course, written you a jingle. Are you ready? I am. I think. We're talking tech, talking tech with Kieran Naga. Talking tech. He's an awesome ultra runner. Talking tech. Talking tech. He's very charming. Talking tech. Knows his polar from his garment. Talking tech. That was talking tech there, Kieran, in honour of you. So no pressure. I think I want that on my Spotify playlist now. No, pro- no problem. No problem. 50p and it's yours. Um, right. So Kieran, tell us what you've been, what you've been looking at this week then. So yeah, for the over the last couple of months, I've basically been looking at sleep and sleep tracking tech. Uh, I've become sort of fascinated mainly after having a child about how important sleep is right. <laughs> yeah. for my own mental health and for running. You know, there's there's plenty of studies that sort of show the importance of sleep. A lot of the technology companies are now they're looking at a way actually to make their products even more useful. So they've got the bit that you're you're tracked whilst you're performing, whilst you're doing the running bit. And they're now looking at what happens for all of the rest of the time right. to make you a, a, a better athlete, I guess. Yeah. So I have been looking into sleep and I've basically taken three products. I'm using a, a, a sleep mat, something called a Withing sleep mat, and that goes under the mattress. It uses pressure sensors um, to track movement and breathing. And I'm also using uh, my running watch, which at the moment I've got a Polar Vantage V, but most of the, the new running watches will track sleep as well. Right. And I've also got a bedside monitor which is a what they call a non-contact sleep tracker. So it sits on your bedside table and it basically tracks your sleep using uh, RF radio waves. Right. Um, so I've been using all of those at the moment to, to gather all kinds of data over the last few months about how badly I'm sleeping. I probably should say how well I'm sleeping, but it's been it's been bloody awful, to be honest. Is this, no, is this noted bad sleep as in it, whatever would have happened, you'd known it would have been bad, or is this machines telling you it's bad? Well, this is where it really gets interesting, and I think this is why I want to do this study. I mean, there was a recent report that came out, um, a study looked into sleep trackers and how they can actually have a negative impact on, yeah. your, on your sleep because you worry more mm. about what you're doing, whether or not you're getting enough sleep, and you can, if the data's wrong, you can misinterpret actually when they compare some of it to to what goes on in a, in a lab test actually people are, are getting the wrong data so it's been really fascinating but sometimes it's really been spot on sometimes it seems to have been wildly out so i'll give you an example the best night's sleep that i've had according to my polar i went to run fest run in a tent with a four-year-old <laughs> i had i had two pints of cider <laughs> And I had a 96% perfect sleep with no no mat, no mattress, just a sleeping bag. That's what you're doing wrong, Kieran. And that's, <laughs> right. And your right. worst one was like at home, yeah. went to bed at eight. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. So, you know, it's, it's, I think this is the, the, the point that I'm, I'm looking at here is just to see actually firstly how these trackers vary mm. and the kind of information that they're providing. So, you know, if you go into what, what you'll get, it will give you things like the time that you fell asleep. It'll give you the time that you woke up. It will track when you get into bed and when you get out of bed. Right. It will also look at stages of sleep. So it can look, it'll, it'll reveal whether or not you're having lots of light sleep, deep sleep and REM sleep. And the deep and REM sleep obviously are the most important for your overall recovery. That's when your body's doing most of its kind of repair, mentally and physically. Mm. And what I've noticed from these trackers very quickly 
according to all of them, is that I don't get very much deep sleep at all. I'm a really light sleeper. I, I really want to look at whether or not I can apply all of the common advice around sleep hygiene that we're now seeing. You know, I mean, there's, there's so much talk about sleep at the moment and about recovery that I think this is it's, it's a nice, timely thing. Yeah. And I want to see if, you know, if not having my phone with me, not drinking caffeine, not having sugar late at night, I'm a little bit guilty of eating a lot of chocolate around 10 o'clock. <laughs> Same. <laughs> and apparently that's not very good. It'll, oh. keep, it'll keep you awake, but or it'll affect how well you sleep. Um, you know, other things like, you know, a lot of the, I've spoken to a lot of um, coaches of the of kind of professional athletes who recommend treating yourself a bit like a child. So you go through the routine of, you know, bath, story, you know bed right and and having that that regularity of going to bed at the same time with the same process mm. and so i'm going to try and apply all of that one by one and then see if i can actually improve mm. or if as ben says it's just the way i am but i'm, I'm going to do this and hopefully i'll come back and be able to tell you guys that i'm sleeping like a baby oh we hope so i have to go to, i go to bed at this point i switch on this machine i have this supplement and then i do this for six hours and i slept really well yeah perfect right and um, let's talk about a couple of products kieran then yeah so there's there's other things so i've basically i i'm often testing new kit and there's a there are two products that have really caught my attention recently one of them is called the power watch 2 the matrix power watch 2 fascinating because the one thing we all hate about gps running watches is that they run out of battery yeah this one never runs out of battery what? yeah it's magic um, how come it's it's basically uses um the difference between your body temperature and the outside temperature to that differential to create energy wow with uh is it like a <laughs> There's a special kind of sensor in there that that, that does this, so you can right. convert it. It can convert your your body heat difference between your body heat and the outside temperature into power. It's also got a little solar ring in the in the screen that kind of tops up that power. Yeah. But provided you're running in an area where that differential is high, so ideally you really want to be in the colder climate, mm. skin temperature really hot. Yeah. This thing works better. Um, it's a little it's a little bit misleading if you use gps you you can't run for in ultra track mode you get like yeah 60 okay. hours on you know. uh, some of those things yeah but you and i guess this will definitely last you for the five hours but i i guess the benefit really is that you it doesn't even ch it doesn't even ship with a charging cable right because you don't charge it you just put it back on if it runs if it does run out if you were to do an ultra yeah you just put it back on and wait for it to 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 recharge um, I think that's amazing, yeah. yeah. Which, you know, hopefully this is this has solved one of the big problems that we've that we've had with watches for a long time and, you know, the technology will be used elsewhere as well. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's fascinating that somebody's got to that point. It, it's also just a standard you would get in, in yeah. any other watch. And that's an, uh, it's incredible, yeah. yeah. So the second one is it's a product that I've mentioned before on here. It's the Stride foot pod. Mm -hmm. Now, yep. this is a power-sensing foot pod that has now come out with its second generation, and the big difference here, it does all of the things before where it measures... <laughs> Whatever it was when Kieran explained all about power. Yeah, yeah. running yeah. with power. Yeah. But this one now also measures wind. Ooh. What kind of wind, clever. Kieran? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just the stuff that's out there for the weather, I'm afraid. But, um, yeah, it's... it's it, it Basically, it can, it can... It's been set up so that it can, it can track the wind as you run, and that essentially makes the power tracking even more effective so now you can gauge how much effort to put in regardless of the conditions so before it was good at sort of flattening out the hill so you could you could gauge the effort up a hill and down mm. a hill but now if you're running into a headwind it'll it'll adjust the power rating that you should be running at accordingly yeah. or if you've got a tailwind behind you how much effort you should use 
and also if you're really into this i know ben you'd probably like this a little bit you can draw it tells you how how to draft people effectively <laughs> yes <laughs> get a little cl- get a little closer <laughs> so good so i mean i'm I, i've never done that in a race and i'm quite new to that but apparently even if you think you're tucking in behind someone you might not necessarily right. be doing it effectively and yeah, this yeah. can help you really see if you are um, you've got to be good at it though don't start doing yeah. it and everyone start kicking everyone else's <laughs> heels just I mean, as, yeah. yeah I'm not sure about the etiquette of it yeah. but you know again Stride is, is it's a good product for people who want to understand how to pace effectively yeah. across at races um, but actually I'd say you know it's, it's probably more for people who are looking a little bit higher up the up the end of the sort of elite scale you know if you've got to be interested in the sort of the margins I think mm. for this product but really exciting yeah stuff. that is cool yeah yeah excellent Am I right in thinking that you're going to you're going to pose a question to to fans of tech, but something that's puzzling you? Yeah, so you know I'm I'm always testing a lot of tech, and there are things that pop into my head and make me sometimes a little bit cross. Sometimes I'm, I'm a little bit puzzled, and this this one really is it's people who pause their watch whilst they're running when they get to traffic lights or when they stop. Mm. I I don't understand it. I don't I don't <laughs> understand why you do this because. For, and I, I'm hoping you guys can correct me and I can okay. walk away from here with with, <laughs> it, with, it, with a new view. But that just skews your stats, doesn't it? It just means, you know, your 10K, okay, I've run 10K, but I've paused most of that. Yep. It looks like I've run a faster pace, but actually half of that, I was I was standing at traffic lights. Mm. My stats are wrong. They're wrong. <laughs> well, Full stop. But then you're talking, I don't know, it's more moving time versus elapsed time. And that's, that's another, I'm glad you mentioned that, right. because Strava yeah. are now reporting moving time first yeah on the app. yeah hun, yeah yeah so for good I right. just, that, the race i just did this weekend i ran for 16 and a half hours mm. according to strava i only moved for 10 and a half hours i can tell you that the other four and a half was, was you weren't sitting i wasn't sitting it was still hurting yeah yeah it still, yeah. <laughs> it still count yeah, right? yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know if it's a bit of a legacy thing. I think that before auto pause and all these sorts of things i think that people just got into the habit of pausing their watch because and uh, I, I mean, I, I, I've been guilty of doing it, and then sometimes I've just, I've, I've realised that there's, you know, what's the point? But, uh, but, and, and I don't really have an answer to it. But I think that a lot of them is just kind of like you've stopped running, so you should stop your watch, and it might be like stopwatches. But it's not for a training, because what I was hoping yeah. to come in and someone say, well, no, there's this, there's this, this is deliberately done for a, a training reason. But it, only if you were doing set periods of no, effort. I can't see it being. I, I think it's part of almost the same phenomenon of. There's some, you know, when you run a marathon, right? So you're never going to run 26.2, but you probably end up running, say, 26.5 once you've done, right. you know, yeah. moving around people. Some people take their time and say, oh, 26.2, I know I'm only on mile 25 here, but that's my mar- that's my marathon time. <laughs> yeah, but they'll also do, they'll, they'll, they'll cross the line and see that they've done 26.8. Yeah. But then their 26.2, like, thingy is that, oh, no, but really, but really, it's a like, marathon. No, 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 yeah, I'm I don't with, know. I'm with you, Kieran. I'm with I mean, you. I, to be honest, I don't really know. I, I can't answer the pause, not pause thing. I think it's just uh, yeah. someone, someone. Someone let us know. Hey, let's open it up. Someone call in. Podcast at runnersworld.co.uk. Let us know why people are doing that stuff. Kieran, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you for having we'll me. We'll see you again next month. Yep. And good luck with sleeping. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> this is the Runners World podcast. It's that time of the week again. His fingers on a button. Fears to the ground. He's done a bit of googling and he's had a nose around. He's a detective wearing running shoes. Carrie McCarthy and his weekly running news. 
We're delighted to be joined by Kerry McCarthy, Runners World's own running detective, to bring you the latest running news. Kerry, welcome to the podcast. Hello, afternoon, fellas. So, uh, what has caught your attention this week, McCarthy? Oh, several things. <laughs> uh, first of all, I'm sure everybody has been following it over the weekend, but in case they didn't, it was the anniversary games again. It was. Yeah. Uh, which is the London version of the Diamond League. Uh, it was a pretty decent performance. I'm just going to give a quick roundup of what I think are the highlights. Um, I think our boys and girls did pretty well. In the blokes, Zarnell Hughes came second in the 100 metres in 9.92, behind South Africa's Olympic finalist, Akane Simbino, and he beat uh, Johan Blake, former 100-metre yeah. world champion, and um, compatriot Adam Jamili. Uh, in the mile race, Jake Whiteman came third in 3.52. I always love a mile race. Yeah. You don't get them very often, do you? Yeah, yeah. You get 1,500 metres. Yeah. I think it's slowly, is... slowly coming back, slowly coming back. Um, but yeah, it's great, a great yeah. dramatic distance. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty good. Um, Andrew Butchart in the 5,000 metres he came 5th in 13.06 which was a PB for him knocked 2 seconds off his PB and that was a new Scottish record and his missus Lindsay Sharp won the 800 metres so I'm sure they celebrated with a (laughs) extra long ice bath and an an additional (laughs) scoop of protein powder in their recovery shakes Um, speaking of the women Laura Muir's been at it again smashing all comers she did the 1,500 metres this time she won it very very comfortably I just love watching her she's just got that kind of like She's got quite a, not the f- most fluid style, but when she goes for it on the final lap, she just oh, grits man. her teeth and she it. really uh, goes for it. Her face is so expressive, it's the best thing to watch. Yeah. I can't remember which race it was, but she just came around the final bend and she just, the kick was a, was a, was a, a compli- uh, accompanied with the most fantastic, like, <laughs> like the face was going for it as much as the legs. I really yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and what else? Dina Asher-Smith came second in the 100 metres. I think we've got used to seeing her win quite yeah. a lot, but she's still she's still young. And she came second to Shelley Ann Fraser Price, multiple Olympic gold medalists. Mm. So yeah. I don't think there's any shame in that. And she said afterwards she was pretty pleased with her performance. For sure. Um, and uh, another a race that caught my eye was the women's 5,000 metres. It was it was highly competitive, won by Helena Beery of Kenya in 1420. Uh, Sifan Hassan, the new mile world record holder, who I spoke about last yeah. week, she can only come in third. That's what that's what a tough race it was. Yeah. But our two British girls, Laura Waitman and Asia McColgan, they finished halfway down the field in twelfth and thirteenth place. They were just eleven hundredths of a second apart. Wow. In fourteen fifty one seventy eight and fourteen fifty one eighty nine. But while that was a, quite an average day at the office for Eilish, apparently, she can she can go about three seconds quicker than that, I think. Yeah. Um, it was huge PB for Laura, whose previous best was fifteen oh eight. Oh wow. Fifteen oh eight to. 14.51, that's wow. quite something, coached by Steve Cram. So. God, that's a, that's he, a big old slice of time. Yeah. That's amazing. So he's, he's well done her. After that. Well done yeah, her, indeed. Play. Moving from conventional track and field to something a little different, it was also the London edition of the Vertical World Circuit Series, which is tower racing, yeah. basically, yeah. running up and down skyscrapers. Um, it is a thing. It's not just for crazy people. There, there's a series of 11 of them that take place throughout the year. Um the London edition was kind of the halfway point of the year, and it was up Broadgate Tower, which is a skyscraper in the financial district. 161 metres high. You think, oh, I can't really invert. Is that much? Well, 35 floors, 877 steps. Um, and there were two new records in it, a new, new men's, women, uh, men's record and women's record. The women's winner was a Brit, Sarah Frost, who did all of that in 4 minutes 40. Broke the five-minute barrier for that course uh, for the first time if you can call it a course, running upstairs. <laughs> um, the men's winner, Ryoji Watanabe from Japan, did 3.41 and took 17 seconds off the record. Wow. I just, 
You ever done it? You ever go at this town? I have thing? actually. Yeah, I did one up the Hilton, um, Park Lane Hilton. Right. Which uh, I think was about 28 floors, 500-ish yeah. steps. And what was this one? This was 35 floors, 877 steps. And I remember oh. I did five minutes something or other. Yeah. Um, but my main reason for being chuffed with that was that I overtook Rhino from Gladiators. Yes, get in there. <laughs> yes. who, get who, in there. who stopped to be ill halfway up <laughs> in the stairwell. Because <laughs> there's a lot of handrail, isn't it? You have to use a ha- you're allowed to use a handrail. Uh, yeah, it's, it's all tactics. One stairwell, two stairs, go wide around the corners, swing yourself around on the, on the banisters. It's just, you know, get your... Get your system and go for yeah. it. Wow, there we go. Um, yeah, and finally, proving that age is just a number. Uh, it's a piece that's up on our website, runnersworld.com slash UK, if you want to read more about it. Virginia native Roy Englert, who is a very youthful 96, has just obliterated the world record for 5K for his age group, which is 95 to 99. He ran it in 42.30. Wow. Yep. Which right. is, I think, almost eight minutes quicker than the previous record. Yeah, but the previous record is 50.10. By a chap called Frank Levine. Um, it's not a fluke either. Englert has already he already holds the ninety-five to ninety-nine age bracket records for eight hundred meters, six oh three, fifteen hundred meters, twelve oh seven, three thousand meters, twenty-six oh one, and he is also a member in the ninety to ninety-four age group before he crossed over to the next bracket of the world record relay teams for four by two hundred, four by four hundred, and four by eight. It's a monopoly. It's absolute monopoly. Yeah. Well, he's found his form. <laughs> yes, he's, he's, he's found some very late season form, yeah, he hasn't really he? Has. Um, you won't be surprised to hear that when he was asked the secret of success, he advised everybody to just keep going. Good man. Yeah. Good advice. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, three miles a day, apparently, on the treadmill. So. Good man. Fair play. I would like to still be running at 95, 96, wouldn't it? It's not bad, 45, is it? 45, your knees, your knees are already done. done yeah. okay. No chance, mate. Hobbo's retired at 37. <laughs> Well, Kerry, thanks very much, mate, for coming in. Cheers, no worries. Carl. Thanks very much. Yeah, we'll see you next week. This is the Runner's World Podcast. So that brings us to the end of this week's Runner's World Podcast. I'd like to say a huge thanks to our guests, James Paul and Kieran Alger, and to Number 8 Studios in Soho, where this was recorded. For more news, reviews, interviews, and much, much more from the wider world of running, please head over to runnersworld.com slash UK. Please like and subscribe on iTunes and thanks to Acast, our hosting partners. Thank you very much for listening and we will see you next week.